Well, hello, kids, and welcome to episode number 12 of the Eager Beaver podcast, a podcast providing incisive commentary on Canadian politics and general culture. And this is a very special episode indeed, as it marks our return to our regular format post-election. We had lots of fun with the unscripted formula of Beaver Bites, so stay tuned, kids, as we may have more additional shows with this format, now that we know that we have the ability to do it. Today, recording day is Thursday, November 4th, 2021, and it has been a sunny yet crisp autumn day here at the Beaver Lodge, for which I am grateful given the healthy amount of rain of late. I'm your host, the Eager Beaver, and I'm doing pirouettes because you, my dearest kids, are joining us again for our regular rendezvous. Whether you are cheering or cursing the coming winter, all are welcome. Of course, a big thank you goes to our podcast's founding sponsors, The Peppermaster, The Miss B Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, and CanadianTarot.com, who are steadfast and stalwart, because it's always nice to have reliable people to support you. On today's episode, we are looking beyond our borders. As an election is prime time for navel-gazing, we thought that we'd dedicate an episode to looking beyond our borders to what is happening in global affairs as they pertain to Canada, its place in the world, and its leadership on the global stage. And to do this, we have a most special interview guest. Yes, this is one of the four about which we've been bragging and teasing on the blog page. We can't believe this person said yes to us. By any objective standard, it can be said that our little podcast will be greatly elevated by his participation. Don't you agree, Mr. Grizzly? Indeed I do. I absolutely do. So kids, grab your rakes and pick up those leaves for composting, because here we go! So, before we go any further, kids, it's time to say hello to this podcast's lovely and friendly neighborhood, Harry Beast. Hello, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, Mr. Beaver. How you doing? I am doing really, really, really well today. I've been ridiculously busy of late, but it's been all good busy. It's been stuff I've asked for. So, I mean, I can't complain, but it, there, there's, there's been a lot. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. every now and then there's been a few times I've been going, ah. <laughs> but all good all good how about you um uh, yeah <laughs> how's your mental health today mr grizzly uh, the mental health has been all over the map lately and uh, i've got a bit of an earache for some reason i have no idea why so oh. my my good ear my left ear my my hear the, the the ear that i can hear properly with is feel like somebody shoved a spike in it for the last couple of days and i don't have time to get to the doctor and uh, going to emerge is just completely stupid right now, right? It's like, you know, so I'll just take some painkillers and tough it out for one more day. And if I have time Saturday, I'll go to the dock. But Saturday's a busy day. We're recording in the morning. I got a, a brunch I got to go to later. And then I'm going to the football game for the uh, Red Blacks final home season game of the year. So maybe next week. <laughs> I don't know. Put it off long though, right? No, 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 no. It's it's you know if like if I wake up tomorrow morning and I can't hear out of my left ear, my work day is canceled. I'm going straight to the emergency room. I'm not. I don't mess around. Like no, no. <laughs> how about yourself? Uh, well, how's your uh, how's your mental health? I know you just told me you're doing really well, but like, how how are you yeah. feeling emotionally? Uh, emotionally, pretty good too. Actually, quite good in, in a way. Um, 
uh, it's been, um, you know, as while we were gone, there was Thanksgiving and everything happened. Uh, and as uh, the kids know, I've recently moved into uh, a home mm-hmm. uh, and it's my first house ever uh, the first house I've ever lived in since I was a child mm-hmm. uh, and I was a foster child. So it wasn't my house, right? right? It was the house of my, my guardians, my foster parents. And um, yeah, we had a uh, Thanksgiving and uh, my uh, Beaver Sweeties family had come over. Uh, so his father, brother, sister-in-law and uh, our niece and nephew and uh, for the first time, not only did we feed them all, but we lodged them all. And uh, Thanksgiving dinner was there, and uh, I was taking a picture, and they were all around the table, and they were carving stuff up, and they were all happy. And both my parents passed on some time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of a sudden, you know, the family I haven't had for a long time and the home I've never had, all of a sudden all just came together at one point and, you know, my inner five or six year old was very, very happy and at peace all of a sudden. It was a very good moment. That's awesome. Yeah. And I've just sort of been riding that happy wave since. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, <laughs> almost deserve to have some violins there. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, I've always wanted a family of my own. And uh, with my mom, it was just me and her. And, you mm-hmm. know, I was in foster home so often that to have a lot of people around the table for a holidays and in my home. Right. Right. Our home, mm-hmm. you know, but mine uh, is, uh, yeah, it, it's good for the soul. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I know, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. Um, I just wanted to make a point here because, you know, I often say hello to your mom, mm-hmm. hello, Mr. Grace's mom, uh, but uh, I want to say a special hello to your dad. Oh, cool. Because I very rarely single him out. So hello, Mr. Sing- <laughs> Mr. Grizzly's dad. And I believe you said that he, uh, your dad had served? Yeah, he was in the uh, Air Force. Uh, well, he joined the RCAF, which became the CF, and then uh, he retired back in '95, and then uh, you know took took some time off for about a year, and then went back to work for, I guess, uh, officially kind of called it, hung up the hat for good in 2000. I'm going to say 2003, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, came back. Well, they were in, they were in overseas for a few years in in uh, Botswana in Southern Africa. And then when they came back, they, uh, you know, let's, let's retire. Let's enjoy, you know, let's enjoy life. We've worked hard and it's time to sit back and relax. So my dad will be in full uniform uh, on uh, Remembrance Day as he is every year. And uh, he'll be attending his uh, local legion and go to the cenotaph in uh, the area, part of town that he lives in. It's a bit much for him to come all the way down here to, you know, the war memorial's just at the end of my street. And uh, it, it's just too much for him because there's thousands of people. And yeah. my dad has a hard time getting around because he has stenosis and his hips are going. So things for me to look forward to. Um, so, you know, he needs a cane to walk. And if he's going to be, he couldn't, he wouldn't be able to stand for that length of time. Right. And because they don't give you chairs for veterans unless you've been invited up to the war memorial. So it's just, it's just too difficult for him. Yeah. So I'm not sure if we're going to have another episode out before uh, the day. So, um, you know, um, Thank you, Mr. Yes. Grizzly's dad, for everything that you've done for us. Uh, we appreciate it because, you know, it's because you fought for our rights that we get to do this show. Well, he he never engaged in battle, but he, he did uh, he did serve uh, as a uh, 
a jet engine specialist and a helicopter engine specialist. And uh, he worked with Search and Rescue in Newfoundland for a few years. And uh, Search and Rescue here in Ottawa as well. So, yeah, he's he gone out in rescue missions. So he's been there for life-saving moments. Every contribution matters. Absolutely, it does. It's a team effort. So, um, yeah. Shall we get to the news? I believe we shall. All right, let's do this. It's the return of the Coast to Coast to Coast COVID Roundup. You didn't think we'd have moved on, did you, kids? When we last did a roundup, it was August 14th, and we had confirmed then that... The fourth wave is absolutely here and upon us. After having witnessed an approximate 354% increase in the national seven-day rolling new confirmed cases number within a period of just 19 days... Things got worse until we hit a national seven-day rolling new confirmed cases number of just over 30,000 on September 25th. One would almost wonder if someone was pleasure enough to use modeling to figure out about when Alberta would be in worst shape to pick the week of the election. (laughs) About two and a half months later, despite increased vaccination rates, some targeted imposed restrictions, slower reopenings, and having way more knowledge, our national number is still above the 12,148 it was on August 14th. It stands at 15,861, which is way too high as the weather gets colder and as we go back into closed and close quarters, with still every child 11 years of age and under not vaccinated at all. Nationally, travel restrictions have been lifted. The USA will reopen its border to Canada on November 8th. Those who have received mixed doses or AstraZeneca are included in the rules. To go to the USA, all you will need is a proof of vaccination. But to re-enter Canada, you will also need a negative PCR test result. If you are going for fewer than 72 hours, you can do the test in Canada prior to departure. The PCR test makes travel a bit more prohibitive as it runs about $200, which may be a clever way of keeping travel rates down despite the national advisory against non-essential travel having been lifted. The advisory travel against taking a cruise, however, is still in effect because the government of Canada has limited means of assisting. And recently, the transport minister, Omar Al-Gabra, announced the reopening of eight more airports to international travel, namely Kelowna, Abbotsford, Victoria, St. John's, Regina, Saskatoon, Waterloo, and Hamilton. Mm. Vaccination-wise, yeah, it's good that people will start to be able to go back to smaller communities. Mm -hmm. Vaccination-wise, by the time this show airs, over 78% of Canadians and a few tenths of a percent shy of 90%, yes, 90% of Canadians, 12 and over, will have received at least one shot. 74% of the population, or 85% of those 12 and over, will be fully vaccinated. These are pretty good numbers. Yeah, I think think here in the nation's capital, we are somewhere in the neighborhood of about 89% fully vaccinated 12 and over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And greater than 600,000 Canadians will have received a booster. Every single province and territory are now administering some type of booster with Manitoba and Ontario expanding their program to include people 70 years of age and over, Indigenous people and members of their households, people who have received two shots of AstraZeneca or one shot of Johnson & Johnson, as well as healthcare workers and some essential caregivers. 
In Ontario, boosters for all are expected in January. That's the good news. Federally, the Treasury Board of Canada announced that about 95% of the federal public service is fully vaccinated. So there you go. Right? (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. On the party front, the COVID party of Canada and its weak leader, Aaron O'Toole, still can't seem to settle on a remotely logical position. You're laughing. (laughs) Well, this, this... Clown, uh, look, I know I'm supposed to show his position some reverence and respect, but come on, man. He he won't. The Brian Mulroney basically eviscerated him the other day, saying, as a leader, you get your party members in line. And he, he O'Toole wouldn't do it. And he's like, this party will never win again until they can find a leader who can get everybody to toe the party line. And you know what? When it comes to this, he's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. I right? saw that Maroney interview and I was like, oh my, 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 how quickly they turned. You remember when we had that conversation? Yeah. When I said, did I? Mm-hmm. Did, he? did he really? <laughs> well, it's like uh, Aaron O'Toole. I mean, the guy's a clown. I, I, look, look, I'm not going to be nice right now because he, he won't force his uh, uh, members to get vaccinated. He won't, he won't push it. He won't make it mandatory, right? But they're, the CPC are the ones pushing for being in the House of Commons. Yep. But if you're not vaccinated, you can't fly, you can't take a train, there are no buses running for the most part, and you can't even enter the House of Commons. But they don't want to do Zoom. So please explain to me how the, the unvaccinated members of the CPC are going to possibly be able to attend anything. Precisely. Precisely. So they can't settle on a remotely logical position on mandatory vaccine statuses for their MPs. They just can't. And because his vote, because we talked about it with our interview with Bert Chen, right? Because his caucus voted not only, I found out this week, not only, not only did they reserve the right to call a leadership review at will, but they also voted to take away his right to sanction any member of the caucus. Now sanctioning a member of the caucus has to be submitted to a caucus vote. So he can't expel the Dr. Leslie Lewis's and the Shannon Stubbs's of his party who appear to be coming for his job. Shannon Stubbs has been on TV at least four or five different times over the past few weeks, just tearing a strip off him. This looks like she's coming for his job. She'll never be prime minister. No, but she's might get she the leadership of the party, but. I mean, yeah, she clearly thinks she clearly looks like she's going to be throwing her hat in the ring. Yeah. She says, like, oh, well, once again, we're back to a position that causes confusion. Just like, well, your position causes confusion too. I mean, mm-hmm. allow people to just come in whether or not your position isn't any clearer. <laughs> so, word on the tweet is that about 10 or fewer CPC MPs are still unvaccinated, but the party will not disclose either how many or exactly who they are, which is untenable because the people with whom they are going to interact have a right to know about the risk. Hmm. And that's staff, that's constituents, that's stakeholders, uh, journalists, right? Mm-hmm. are going to be exposed. We have People have a right to decide that to which they will expose themselves. Absolutely. And they're denying that. And but of course, you know, we're talking about the leader whose one of first public act as becoming the leader was to go stand in line for a photo op while he was unwittingly COVID positive. So, you know, 
COVID Party of Canada MPs are apparently encouraging their colleagues to get the shot, but are standing on a some kind of point of principle about personal disclosure. This is rubble without a clue or a cause level messiness. Well, there's absolutely no leadership there. There's none. Right. It's like you said, so long as this party defends the right of some of their members to be a human virus mutation incubator, it is going nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's clear that O'Toole's on this way out. Oh, yeah. Right? Maybe Aaron. sooner than any of us expected, too. Aaron, darling, pain is a natural part of life. The suffering, however, is optional. Give yourself a political mercy killing. Don't drag it out. Just, it's painful. It's oh. painful. You're getting the boot eventually. Leave on your own terms. Will his tenure be shorter than Shears? <sighs> it deserves to be. Mm-hmm. So the stampede wave that Premier Jason Buffalo Poop for Brains Kenny has imposed on all of us devastated not only Alberta, but also Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and the Northwest Territories. Mm-hmm. All of them needing to eventually send patients out of jurisdiction and or having the military and Red Cross support sent their way. Not to mention the um, team of nurses that were flown in from Newfoundland to help out because, well, Bumble's severed what he cut 11,000 jobs in healthcare. Yeah. Now, again, 11,000 jobs in healthcare. Uh, your mind immediately goes to nurses and doctors. No, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. There's tons of support workers, you know, sanitation, laundry, uh, all absolutely necessary jobs to run a hospital. Absolutely. So, again, you know, you've just, you've increased the workload on everybody else by taking these people out of the workforce. So he could save a few bucks, but no, he didn't want to save a few bucks. He just wanted to show how the public system was failing, cut its legs out from under it, and then want to go privatize everything. And he's already got legislation to try and privatize everything, except the Canada Health Act will not allow it. Mm. Yeah. Jason's, I don't know what you would call it, impetuousness, ego, ego, I don't know what it is, but it devastated Manitoba so badly that the province swore in yesterday its mm. first ever female premier because Lurch bolted. Oh, yeah. He just, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's probably already in Costa Rica. Boy, those, I wonder if they're regretting that McLean's uh, cover. Oh, God. Isn't it? It's just <laughs> one by one they're going down, eh? Bang. It's like ducks in a shooting gallery at the, at the carnival, you know? So the new premier's name is Heather Stevenson. And uh, well, as we said, it's not a conservative leadership race until somebody calls the police, complains somebody's cheated or something went wrong with the vote. And yep, it happened again. And in this case, it seems to be somewhat serious. Uh, Stevenson won by about 363 votes. And her rival, uh, Shelley Glover, who is a Harper reject, was a minister uh, in uh, his government and was a former police officer, which makes me wonder about her arrest record, given she lies like she breathes. Mm. But... <clears throat> 363 and apparently she says that the vote count was 500 about 501 foot 501 votes different than what she told it would be and apparently there's about a thousand people that did not get ballots uh, so it's gone to the court of the queen's bench and apparently the judges ruled that there is something of public interest and these cases are usually get a decision within one or two weeks about what the next step will be mm-hmm. so Con's gonna con. 
Khan's gonna con, but it's like we may have a premiere and we may not. Yeah. Well, I heard uh, that, what was it was a statement? If somebody says she's not the premiere, I'm the premiere. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the the moments after that, the uh, a scene from Spartacus. I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. Except <laughs> everybody had that bubble, uh, the the cartoon bubble. I'm the premiere. I'm the premiere. I'm the premiere. <laughs> Immediately that mem popped up. I was like, yeah, that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. I got to give whoever created that one some points, you know. Canadian conservative movement, please hire an outside independent organization to run your leadership races. Mm-hmm. The one that elected Sheer federally had issues. Mm-hmm. The one that elected Ford had issues. Mm-hmm. The one that elected Kenny had issues. The one that had, that elected O'Toole had issues. The one that is now electing Stevenson had issues. There's a theme here. <laughs> It doesn't happen with any other party. Con's gonna con. They can't. They can't even organize a freaking leadership race, and they think they they can run a province in the country. I, I couldn't organize a one car parade. <sighs> Jesus, take the wheel. <sighs> and it was even looking like for a while that Jason Kenny would be following Pallister out the door, but he managed to save himself. As for Saskatchewanians, it's a case of Manitoba to the left of me, Alberta to the right. Here we are, bleeped in the middle with Mo. <clears throat> I bleeped it. The word rhymed with stuck. Stuck. That's all I'll say. Um, <laughs> as little bro Slobo watched the devastation happen all around him, and he opted to do even less rather than learn. <laughs> Just want to strangle people. They'll point the fingers in every direction of blame of everybody else, but it wasn't me. Just get the it wasn't me. To send me a bunch of pillows and just. It would be hard for me to resist. I swear these people. Ah, a recent Abacus poll showed, however, that his approval ratings had dropped by eighteen percent in a short while because him, for some reason, was doing everything wrong and still remaining at high popularity. I don't know how he did it, but I don't know. And then, not to mention. The BC interior also got devastated, mm-hmm. but the government of BC seemed to have been able to handle that situation with its own resources. Meanwhile, on the other coast in New Brunswick, ever since the province went majority progressive conservative, uh-huh. it's been downhill. Now, not only has Premier Higgs governed his province into by far its worst wave of the pandemic, he's also got striking public service employees on his hands. So he's doing a bang up job, eh? I just don't, I do not understand what people in the Maritimes were thinking. They saw what was going on across the country before the election. I was telling everybody I know down east, look, we're getting, we're taking it hard here in Ontario because we're being run by a, a money grubbing idiot. Mm-hmm. Don't do to yourselves what was done to us in Ontario. Mm-hmm. I'm warning you. Mm-hmm. Does anybody ever listen to me? No. And you know what? I do hate to say I told you so. I hate it because I wish I was wrong about this. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, ever since I we've been doing this podcast and, you know, ever since I've been writing the blog, I mean, when COVID hit, you know, at the beginning when they said, you know, the first lockdown would be two or three weeks, I'm sitting there like, you know, three week incubation period. First of all, there are still three weeks of people, still people in the first three weeks to come. Yes. No, no, we're in lockdown for at least six to eight people. Yeah. At least six to eight, right Minimum. off the bat. And sure enough, at least six, they said two, and then it was four, and then it was six to eight. And it was like, see, I told you. And then it ended up being even more. But it was like right off the bat when they announced two, I knew it was going to be minimum eight, minimum mm-hmm. eight six to eight. There was just no way with what they were saying about the incubation periods. 
It's just. Uh, so Jason's Kenny's prediction that we are confident that we can be open for summer and open for good. Like so many other of his prognostications throughout his multi-decade career of failing forward and upward did not come true. And well, now. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no. And now several conservative premiers are turning up the gaslight. Doug Ford is claiming he's always taken the pandemic seriously, folks. Kenny is talking like he was a real leader who took decisive action all along now that the worst of the latest wave has subsided. And Mo is trying to pretend like he was making great decisions the entire time, except for the week or two before he started having to transfer patients out of the province <laughs> because COVID incubation rates permit a jurisdiction to go from everything being amazeballs to holy crap all in just two weeks. <laughs> Kids. Oh, God, kids. Can you hear my eye roll? Can you hear it? Yes, I actually can. Let's go jurisdiction by jurisdiction. British Columbia. BC's latest wave has been extended as if a daily infection rate of about 450 new cases was the endemic rate. But that has just started to drop a bit. The peak was a seven-day rolling number of about 5,200. Currently, it is 3,768. A circuit breaker was instituted in the northeast region of the province. For some reason, BC Premier John Horgan has been escaping significant critique. Incidentally, Horgan is recovering from throat surgery to remove a growth, the biopsy of which has indicated it was cancerous. Hmm. Horgan has already survived bladder cancer in 2008. He starts radiation therapy soon, and Mike Farnworth has been deputized to take over in-person duties. We wish him well and a full recovery. Indeed. And our thoughts go to his family also, who must be beside themselves at this moment. No doubt. Yeah. Masks in BC are mandated in schools from kindergarten onwards now, before it used to just be uh, from the higher grades up. Mm -hmm. And uh, pre-registration of 5 to 11-year-olds for the COVID vaccine is already underway in the province. Uh, I'm not sure if other provinces are doing that, but if they're not, they really should. Uh, and vaccines will be mandatory for public servants as of November 22nd. Alberta. The situation in Wildrose country was horrible. The third wave came close to reaching the same peaks as the first two, thus proving Kenny had learned absolutely nothing from them, but it was longer in duration. At its worst, the seven-day rolling number reached about 11,466, and the province at one point had over 20,000 active cases at one time, as well as 268 people in the ICU. I, A historical record for the I, province. You remember back in June, late June, early July, when they they opened for summer, yep. best Everybody's summer been. ever, and I said I was watching a video of people at the Stampede, nobody was wearing masks, nobody was maintaining a distance, and most people didn't even have their first shot at that point. Mm. We said six months ago, this is what was going to happen. I'm not an epidemiologist or a virologist, and neither are you. Grade 11 chemistry is my highest science. But it's pretty easy to look at the numbers and the trends and see that they made a terrible decision. It cost mm -hmm. how many lives? How is he not being charged? I'm wondering I, the same thing. I, and I, I mean that sincerely. How is yeah. he not being charged? Yes. 
Yes. And of course, now Kenny is going to go around now, right? Because he's had his equalization referendum and all of that kind of stuff. He's going to complain how Canada never does anything for them like this. Uh, when we sent the military and the Red Cross and whatnot, after the third wave, right? Yeah. Now, of course, you know, we care about humans and we do that. And, you know, like that's this, what we I do. Mean, if somebody had crossed their arms and said, you know what, dig yourself out of your own hole, it'd have been. You, you, would, you, you could imagine there are many people in this country who thought that. Maybe not said it, but I'm sure a lot of people thought that because it's like, dude, you didn't listen to us. Dig yourself and out on you're your making own. us rest of Canada now. Yes. Dang. Oh, and then he just had his, his uh, put an end to the equalization formula that uh, he wrote as a member of the Harper cabinet back in 2009. Yep. The equalization formula, that he said 62% of the population of Alberta came out to support it. That is not the case. Only 40% of the population voted, and 25% of that 40% voted to end equalization payments, which he can't do because it's a federal program. So he's just gaslighting everybody in the province with, like, the man is just beyond belief. Yeah. He wrote the formula. Like yeah. you can hear it. My voice is going up an octave or two. So what happens when I get upset? You know what that referendum was, right? It was him basically asking Alberta to vote on whether or not he did a crap job. Basically. He's like 62% support, 40% of the population voted. So it's only 32. about, you know, 25%. It was like 32%. Or something it was like even less or something. Yeah, it was it was a ridiculously known low number, you know. Yeah. Or sort of yeah, or uh, yeah, I can't remember. There was something or even when you factor everybody in that mm -hmm. didn't vote or whatnot, it turns out to be like thirty two percent of the population or something like that. Yeah, voting, just which ridiculous. Is, like, and I mean that was uh it it landed like up. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Like other than Scott Mo, no other premier supported him and the federal government. I, 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 I don't think even the federal government bothered to dignify it with a response. Oh, no, they didn't. Why should and, they? Yeah. And then, of course, he's had other disasters like his investigation on the uh, on Albertan practices on environment and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Just that flopped too. And just, just everything, right? Everything's coming up the opposite of roses for this guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> In wild rose country, no less. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, Kenny was, as we said, was uh, required to call for help during the last week of the federal election, despite making the political decision of rejecting it several times, hoping he could allow people to die at a rate of over 100 a week until the election was over and still survive. <clears throat> Alberta's COVID app was also determined to be an at least $4 million failure. The app didn't work well on iPhones, had been downloaded only 300,000 times, and has only singled 157 entered positive results. Yeah, had to have a made in Alberta situation when there was a perfectly good federal one that he wouldn't even allow to be used in the province. Like, he, he, the contempt this man has for the citizenry. Yes, and the federal app, meanwhile, was downloaded 7 million times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He finally accepted help in the final week of the campaign and eventually had to shuffle his health minister, Tyler Shandro, out of the portfolio. The number today is 3,431, which is still higher per capita than British Columbia. Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan is the screw up of Confederation. 
Its first three waves sort of rolled in and out of each other with a maximum one-day reported cases number of about 382. The current wave blew the previous three out of the water, reaching a high of nearly 550 people in one day. Things got so bad that organ donation and the organ transplantation program had to be suspended. Premier Mo has become a parasite. He has the lowest provincial vaccination rate. He was too lazy to get that done. And now that the other provinces like Ontario have shaped up, he is using that as an excuse to not have to make the tough call because he can slough off other patients to ICUs out of province in order to avoid taking action. He is fixated on managing his political future and ICU space. At one point, there were 85 ICU patients in Saskatchewan, more per capita than at any other place in Canada at the time. On October 22nd, 12 Saskatchewanians had died, and recently over 100 children per day were testing positive. 100 children per day in Saskatchewan. Yeah. According to modeling, medical care, if medical, sorry, according to modeling, a medical care is not expected to return to normal for at least four months, and ICU capacity was at the risk of tripling by January had Mo not responded at all. The problem is, Mo's job was to make sure that Saskatchewanians didn't get sick in the first place. He failed. Miserably. Perhaps he should have had a Trudeau summer after all. Hmm? Hmm. If this is what Mo and Best Summer Ever Kenny thought would kick ass, I shudder to think of what the law for up as an encore. Criminal negligence charges, please. Uh, no kidding. Just. <clears throat> I want to circle back to Alberta for a quick second, though. I read something today on the Twitter, and I don't know if this guy's just angry or if it's a factual statement. Either way, I have no difficulty in believing this statement because facts are facts. A friend of his has just uh, opted for MAID because mm. his cancer surgery was put off for so long and so many times mm -hmm. that he's beyond recovery now. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know how true that is, but I have no problem believing it because when your ICU has no space, they're can't, they were canceling surgeries left, right, and center. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and of course, since we're circling back to Alberta, of course, you know, the allegedly Christian, allegedly conservative, allegedly heterosexual white <laughs> so named a woman, of course. Yes. First yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. He's like, no, no, my, my uh, comments were taken out of context. I heard yes. what you said, dude. I watched you say it. It's not taken out of context. You no. blamed her. Yeah. Way to be the stereotype bumbles. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Next. Manitoba. The situation in Manitoba has only gotten progressively worse, but at a slower rate. Eventually, added restrictions needed to be put in place in the south of the province, and families of long-term care residents were informed that they may be requested to lend a hand. However, its third wave is just about now starting to pick up pace with a seven-day rolling number of 781 today, which is 104 cases more than the previous day. Until recently, Manitoba had not been experiencing triple-digit case increases since the 26th of June. Mm. That's going on now. Right. With all we know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in related news, the Queen's Bench in Manitoba rejected the claim from anti-vaxxer religious leaders citing that restrictions were a necessary response to a public health emergency. Duh! <laughs> uh, this isn't rocket surgery. Jeez. 
<laughs> Jesus wants you to stay alive and be healthy. That's true. That's true. Ontario. Gotta say it. Ontario killed it when it came to managing the fourth wave. Following Dr. Moore's advice, served Doug Ford well, and he seems to be continuing in that vein, having announced a similarly phased-in process to get us to fully mask-free next March, just as weather is getting warmer, which is smart. But also, just as an election is coming in June, which is clever. Mm-hmm. An election coming in June, or is it? There is word on the tweet that he is seeking to pull a fast one and call it in March as he lifts the mandate. The better to squeeze in another hopefully majority mandate before any potential crap might hit the fan, my child. Oh no, you're not grandma. And Ford has mandated that all long-term care staff be vaccinated by November 15th. But this week, Minister of Health Christine Elliott announced they will not be mandated for health care workers. Yeah, please. Please explain that to me. He has approved a vaccine passport, the QR code of which became active on October 22nd. He had also announced a new regime of inspections as, in addition to the thousands of patient deaths, over 7,300 care workers in Ontario to date have been infected. On-site inspections were not being done. And after having sat out a second federal election in a row, Premier Edsel is rebranding himself as the guy who will bring back inspections to long-term care homes, thus requesting a cookie for promising to fix what he broke and of being and promises to be a fighter for workers, though he wouldn't put paid sick leave in place and killed raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour before he donned the conservative flip-flops and basically admitted Kathleen Wynne had it right. <sighs> Except... It's two years later, and something like $6,200 that minimum wage earners could have had in their pockets, they don't. He took away the sick days they did have. Yep. We have a global pandemic, the likes we've seen never before, and nobody has sick days still. Still. After he promised, I'll have the best sick pay in North America. Yeah, Jug. Doug, pull this leg and it plays jingle bells. Come on, man. We know you're lying. Yeah. So, yeah, despite the long-term care deaths in wave one and screwing up the reopening after wave two, thus causing the third, Doug is someone who's took COVID seriously all along. Nobody has ever taken COVID with this seriously. I'll walk through walls to whatever. Yeah. I'll spare no expense. I won't hesitate. I won't blah, 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 blah. I mean, admittedly, admittedly, he, he was smart enough to listen to um, Dr. Uh, sorry. Um, Moore. Thank you, Dr. Moore. Uh, f- to prevent a serious fourth wave. Yeah. It, it could have been so much worse in Ontario. So he kept things tight, kept the restrictions tight, tight insisted we wear masks, socially distance, you know, the, the, the pass, Vax passport. All good things. He got that right. But I mean, he had to screw up so colossally beforehand to get to this point, right? I guess. And, but so, you know, and again, had he screwed up and, you know, rehabilitated himself, you know, I'm willing to give the credit, but for mm-hmm. him to like somewhat rehabilitate himself and now like, well, I took this seriously all along and, you know, nobody's like, <sighs> we're not that old. No. <laughs> I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. Jeez. <sighs> Next. <laughs> Quebec. 
The situation in Quebec is similar to that in Ontario, but it handled the fourth wave somewhat worse than did Ontario and is currently running a new daily cases number of about 500, which when compared to 330 and declining number in Ontario is meaningfully worse performance on a per capita basis. The province did show leadership by being first to come out in favor of and with a passport to access non-essential services, something that has now evolved into a mostly national standard and doubles as an international travel document. It also tried to be the first to demand its nurses be fully vaccinated, but the provincial minister of health had to extend the deadline. This week, the minister flip-flopped completely on the, on the demand, claiming that though a vaccination rate of 95% has been achieved, it still leaves about 8,000 unvaccinated by choice employees, which would be too great a number to manage. However, as a consequence, the bonus pay they had received during the pandemic will be revoked. Oh, right. Yeah. Our heroes. Hmm. Retired and private sector nurses are being offered up to $18,000 in incentives to return to the public sector, and nurses are taking advantage of this leverage to demand an end to mandatory forced overtime. Go nurses. The government is also allegedly involved in an effort to, rather than making the public sector a more attractive place to work, lowering the bar to make private sector work work less compelling and appealing. To no one's surprise. (sighs) Atlantic Canada. On August 14th, there were a total of 106 active cases in the four Atlantic provinces. 76 of them, however, of course, were in New Brunswick, the first province to break away from the bubble after going fully conservative. While things have remained steady in the other three provinces, save an odd spike here and there in Newfoundland and Labrador, things in New Brunswick, population about 775,000, got so bad that on around October 12th, there were over 100 new cases per day. Prior to that period, the highest number had been 32, mm-hmm. which is where about things stand today. Mm-hmm. So things stand today where they were the worst mm-hmm. before this wave. When, when I have friends in New Brunswick who are, are normally um, uh, reserved in their verbiage, start mm-hmm. describing the premier as, oh, uh, it rhymes with a, a kick we make in football. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and it's not a kickoff. <laughs> a shield fool? Uh, what, do you, what do you do on third down when you've got too many yards to go for another 10? Yeah, you punt the ball. <laughs> I'm sure you know some people want to punt him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, the province of New Brunswick had declared officially a state of emergency, including circuit breakers in the Moncton, Edmonston, and Fredericton areas and province-wide for Thanksgiving. Once again, proving that conservative government is bad for our health. The territories. Canadians living in the territories have had a rougher go of it. The Northwest Territories are at the tail end of a wave that started around mid-August that got so bad that its seven-day rolling number was 350, which made it at the time the nation's per capita hotspot, even as Alberta was tanking hard. That number now stands at 42. Unfortunately, it seems that the Yukon, where things are going well, has been picking up the baton since mid-September, as cases have been rising steadily, with the seven-day rolling number currently standing at 53. As for Nunavut, the COVID situation remained well under control there throughout, which is a good thing, considering Canada still has to send the military there because there's a major water issue in Iqaluit at the moment that could have been the major compounder 
of a bad problem. Yep. Can't wash your hands, right? Joint Task task Force North is currently there with two reverse osmosis water treatment units because gas, gas, either kerosene or diesel, had found its way into the water supply. It's suspected that shifts in the ground resulting from the melting of permafrost ruptured something along the way. Vaccines. On the vaccine front, Pfizer has submitted its data to both the FDA and Health Canada for vaccines for children from 5 to 11 years old. The children's formulation will be about a third of the potency of the adult dose and has been updated slightly. The non-medicinal ingredients have been improved, so it's a bit of a hybrid. Mm -hmm. Um, Pfizer reports a 90.7% efficacy rate for a two-dose regimen taken 21 days apart for children, encouraging the FDA to grant emergency use authorization to to the formulation. Today in the USA, the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices voted unanimously to fully approve the children's formulation. It is expected that the same will happen in Canada within two weeks. Mm -hmm. So children may finally be getting their shots maybe before Christmas. One would hope. One would hope. In other positive news, the UK is the first country to approve a post-exposure treatment called molnupiravir, which reduces by half the number of people likely to need care. According to Dr. Fauci, there were no deaths in the treatment group, but eight in the placebo group. The antiviral hacks the code of the virus by producing copying or replication errors when it tries to infect other cells. Yeah. Further studies have recommended that men from 18 to 24 opt for Pfizer over Moderna due to an increased risk of myocarditis and pericarditis. Modeling studies published in The Lancet indicate that an unvaccinated person who has already contracted COVID can contract it again after about three months. And finally, two real-world studies, one in Israel of 4,800 healthcare workers and the other in Qatar, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, show that the Pfizer vaccine starts to wane after two months, but still provides strong protection against severe disease, hospitalization, or death. And that's your post-election, coast-to-coast-to-coast COVID roundup. Well, guess, of course, we had a lot to say because a lot of time has gone by, but uh, we've got you all caught up, and uh, now you're informed. And we'll be back soon with our main story. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Hey there, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, Mr. Beaver, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Hey, uh, did you get something in the mail lately? Yes, um, Miss V Mysteries. Yeah, I did too. Awesome, bedside reading. Yes, Um, for those who don't know, the Miss V Mysteries is an LGBTQ plus cozy mystery series written by Delilah Knight. Miss V is 60, trans, and classy, sassy, and a bit smart-assy. From her kitten heels to her chic bob, Miss V is a lady through and through. When her late aunt's lawyer is found murdered, and clutching V's favorite Chanel jacket, she is immediately arrested. 
can she find the real killer before the local law puts her away for good? Will she be forced to trade 50s rock and roll for jailhouse blues? Do prisons even have a happy hour? Well, none of the ones I've been in. Wait, what? What? There's a story there. No. We'll talk about that after the ad. Miss Fee and the Letras Lawyer is the first book in a humorous, cozy mystery series from by Ace author Delilah Knight. On sale now wherever ebooks are sold. Paperback copies are also available, or call your local library and ask them to get it in. Signed copies available at www.corvidmoonpublishing.com. That's www.corvidmoonpublishing, all in one word, dot com. The Miss V Mysteries. You need to be reading it. And welcome back, kids. One of the ReformerCon party of Canada's favorite anti-Trudeau tropes is that he's an intellectual lightweight, social butterfly who has no depth and an embarrassment to us on the world stage. And as a result, he is making our standing, especially with allies, drop. And uh, Mr. Grizzly, I hope you noticed that I threw in a ReformerCon just for you. Thank you very much. I did notice that. I did. You're quite welcome. I like to help. <laughs> um, now, the conservatives love doing it on China, especially. Though seven years ago, they locked us and the next six, seven governments into a foreign investment protection agreement with China for over the next 30 years, thus bending us over a barrel for about three decades. And recently, they did it again when they lost their minds after the UK, the USA, and Australia signed a submarine deal, pretending that we were deliberately excluded when really we just had no business being there. <laughs> of course, the fact that President Joe Biden was just being good old Joe when he said, the United States has no closer or more reliable ally than Australia, didn't help much. <laughs> but, <laughs> if, but like, come on, right? The, the American government says that we have no oldest ally, uh, no longer ally since France because of, you know, what happened at uh, at the revolution and then when it's the uk we have no more stalwart yes. friend because they went to into afghanistan with them and it's so, a I politician mean, being a politician right 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 that's like because <laughs> yeah, if one stopped from instantly jumping that from jumping to outrage long enough to rub two brain cells together to get a spark one would realize that if that statement alone meant we no longer rated it would also mean that we would be in good company right because as new zealand the other five eyes partner five eyes partner mm -hmm. <laughs> wasn't included in the deal all other g7 nations uh, especially france in this case, <laughs> they too would have no longer rated. So, you know, we've got Germany, Italy, Japan. We're in good company here. <laughs> so, yeah, the conservatives are basically hoping that you're ignorant. I believe the uh, common colloquial term for that would be clutching at straws. Yes, yes. Uh, however, that which we, we have been noticing over the past while is Canada, via the Trudeau government, is starting to take a bigger place on the world stage than has been the case over the, the most of the past two decades. Uh, Harper had more of a retrenchment attitude, mm -hmm. you know, starting with trying to bop China on the nose right off the bat, you know, and then him reversing himself, uh, you know, after he went to visit China eventually and they criticized him for taking him a long time to arrive. And then 
then we got FIBA. So well, we went uh, from yeah. kind of stand up to China just totally selling out. Yeah, and and, and of Six course the conservative current conservative leader Aaron the Tool. Uh, oh, sorry, did I say that incorrectly? I yes, guess did. I did. I did. Yes. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Him going about how oh, uh, Trudeau is buckling under to China. I'm going to be. T- you sold us out to China, dude. Yeah, you were the you were part of that cabinet. Like, do they do they think that Canadians have no memory whatsoever, or do they count on us being stupid? Because he's pulling the same stunt that uh, Bumbles McGee in Alberta is trying to pull with his whole uh, uh, um, uh, equalization referendum. referendum. Come on, mm-hmm. you wrote the damn formula, dude. Just well, stop. <laughs> And here's the, the ultimate insult. It's not only that they think that we don't remember, and maybe some of us did forget, but they also act like we do not have internet. That yeah. We can't go look. <laughs> everything that they've said, right? Ever since like YouTube has existed, everything that you say as a politician is digital and it's recorded and it can be found in like a couple of keystrokes and yes. it's digitized forever. Forever. It's there, dude. It's not going we away. You. <laughs> well, and here's the best part. Even pre-YouTube, it was recorded somewhere by a television station or, you know, a recording, a camera. And now but it's you digitized. Go back to the archives, right? Or you had to go to the library and get some microphones. Now it's like available right now. You can just take out your phone and go, is that BS? Yes. And it's like, it's like why are you even trying? Well, they'll t- they'll tell you a bald faced lie to your face, and just give me a second. Let me put it in the Googler here, and and that and and the survey says that is a lie. Yeah. <sighs> so Canada was not only a founding member, but the second largest founding contributor to the Covax program intended to distribute COVID vaccines around the world. It then announced an additional three quarters of a million contribution to countries in the Americas. Then. Prime Minister Trudeau just announced another contribution at the G20, 10 million doses of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine, an increase in financial support to COVAX, COVAX, so it may buy another 63 million doses itself, and an additional $15 million to help make mRNA vaccines in Africa, bringing the total contribution to about $200 million with doses to be delivered by the end of 2022. Then, then Environment Minister Wilkinson was especially called up by UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson to help shore up donations to the should-be $100 billion climate change global transition fund after we doubled our annual commitment to it last June. Then the former Governor Bank of Canada, Mark Carney, was tapped to do the same for corporate entities for an over $1 trillion fund. Then the Pope has announced that he's finally been convinced to come to Canada, perhaps to deliver a very overdue apology on Indigenous soil. Then our Prime Minister was recently given the very rare honor and privilege of directly addressing the Parliament of the Netherlands. And finally, and probably the biggest sign, was the return and the quick about face from China shortly after our election that returned the two Michaels to Canada with the help of and in part thanks to U.S. President Joe Biden, mm-hmm. and a gradually building international coalition to keep China in check, fueled by Canadian initiative. Now, the submarine deal being the surest sign yet the collective efforts are coming together, and that they have significant capital behind them. In my humble opinion, based on the information out there, it seems like, if anything, we can sleep soundly. The CPC's take is literally a fire hose of buffalo fecal matter. Our global standing. (laughs) Okay, I did not see that coming. Love it when I make you laugh. (laughs) Uh, Our global standing is obviously increasing, and this for the world to see. 
When we return, we'll delve into the subject when we talk global affairs with our interview guest. Stay tuned, kids. I promise you, you won't want to miss this. Well, hello again, and so glad you stayed with us. Up next, we have something very special for you, something about which we've been excited for weeks. Our interview guest this week is someone I personally admire very much. If we had a Canadian Hall of Fame for journalism, this person, if not already in it, would be a shoo-in. A few clues. Our guest is a native Montrealer who obtained a degree in history from McGill and followed it with a graduate studies at the prestigious Carleton University School of Journalism. Our guest has been on our screen since at least 1983 when they joined the CBC as a reporter in Fredericton. In 1995, during the Bill Clinton years, this person became very familiar to all Canadians, beamed into our living rooms regularly as the CBC's foreign correspondent in Washington, D.C. And finally, in 2012, this fine journalist returned as the CBC foreign correspondent in Washington after having spent some time in South Africa and Los Angeles, and before finally retiring sort of. In 2018, he served as the chief political correspondent to CBC News Sunday and other current affairs programs. And I say sort of because he is still producing content. You can find it sometimes on policy options. Kits, I would like to present, and we are extremely proud to have him. Welcome to the Beaver Lodge, Mr. Keith Bogue. Good day, sir. Thank you for inviting me to the Beaver Lodge. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't expect such a glowing introduction, and, and that's very flattering. Thank you. Oh, we're happy you to are, have you. Yes, yes, we were uh, so happy uh, when you said yes. Uh, for the kids who are listening, uh, the way this sort of came about is I had. Uh, just posted a commentary about uh, the Bloc Québécois leader stating that the reason for which, you know, let's not forget the reason for which he still has a job is because of Sachi Curl's in- intervention during the debate. And you had liked it and we had gotten to a little conversation and I just boldly asked you, would you get us an interview? And you were very, very kind enough to say yes. So thank you. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, the truth is I'd been following you for a while and I'd found uh, a lot of your tweets to be trenchant and smart and, and, uh, and I think that uh, I think I mentioned that once to you. And yeah, you did actually. I was about that, but uh, yeah, high praise. You seem to have a good take on a lot of on a range of things. So oh, thank you. And you well, like and you like the platform a lot. That's the yeah. <laughs> that's kind of obvious too. Yeah, it's a it's it's a good platform. I started off as a blog on Facebook, and I still have that, and and that one's really good. Uh, but I didn't, um, I wasn't cross promoting across the platforms. And uh, a few years ago, when a friend suggested I do a podcast, and I thought there was no market for it whatsoever, and well, this year I finally decided to go for it. This is the first time that I've been cross promoting, so it's it's kind of weird because I actually have two pools. Distinct pools of people, and I'm trying to bring them together, and it's it's not as easy as just saying, "Hey, I started a podcast. Everybody, just migrate over." <laughs> but I guess that makes now makes me the last person in Canada yes. not to have his own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I mean, a lot of podcasts started during the 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 first two months of lockdown back in 2020. I I had started a a music podcast, uh, pop music and jazz, and uh, Douglas and I connected here uh, via Twitter, and then mm-hmm. he just asked me one day, he says, uh, would you like to, uh, you know, I'm like, yep, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> yep. We've recently had um, some elections in the United States. Uh, the Virginia uh, governorship changed hands, the New Jersey one remained in hands. Uh, there are people in the United States that are screaming, going, oh my God, this is awful. And then there's a whole other section for example, like including Rachel Maddow, who have pointed out that normally both governorships flip 
and that otherwise Democrats did well. So are things going well or things not going well? Uh, if things really go down that slippery slope in the United States, what happens to us in Canada? Because, I mean, surely, you know, our battalion of curling brooms and hockey sticks aren't going to help us at the border and neither building an ice wall on the border is not going to help either. So I don't, what happens if it, like, it just seems to us that, that, that we're sitting ducks. If that, if the U S should go down that road, it's almost inevitable that we'll get swept up because we can't defend ourselves if we can no longer rely on the United States to defend us. Well, I mean, I think that, that um, it is at this moment, an, an open question, but an important question as to how the world will react to an election they believe is illegitimate if such a thing happens. And by that, I mean, it, you know, the um, there is great concern in many quarters that what is happening right now in state legislatures is the putting into place mechanisms and, and laws and, and uh, new powers that would allow um, state legislatures to overturn election results, um, new methods to suppress votes, all of which only increasing increase the anxiety that the next election, um, particularly if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, um, could produce a result that is overturned um, under a quasi-legal framework, but that nevertheless would not appear to be legitimate in the eyes of, of other countries and not the least of which would be Canada. What is the appropriate reaction to that? I mean, we can all sort of intellectually formulate an appropriate reaction to that, but in the real world, how does it look? What does it mean? Because I don't know, well, but it's yeah. certainly, it's a part of, yes. Because the United States will react no matter what we do, right? It's not as if like we do something and then they just say, okay, yeah. <laughs> will be a yeah. reaction. Plus, the United States will be divided. So that the, you know, if the election looks as though it's been stolen by, by, uh, I mean, truthfully, looks as though it's been stolen, not in a made-up sense, mm -hmm. uh, as we saw in 2020. But if it truthfully looks as though it's been stolen, then the first thing that's going to happen is a massive division in the United States, which will probably be violent. The next thing that's going to be uh, that's going to happen, or simultaneously with that. Um, is that that the governments in, in America's allies are going to be asked to respond to the to to what's happening there, and how do they do that? What happens next? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, whatever happens next is going to be is going to be difficult and painful and and pro probably ugly and and um, and maybe ongoing for a long time. You know, it, it, there's a lot of reasons to be paying attention to American politics right now mm -hmm. so that we, to whatever extent possible, can't be taken too by surprise. Um, we, like, we should never be taken by surprise in the way that we were in 2016 mm -hmm. uh, with the election of Donald Trump. We should never be taken by surprise in that way again. But... Um, what are the things that we should be alarmed about by now? To bring it back to your original point about the elections um, in New Jersey and, and Virginia this week, um, I mean, there are important lessons to learn, I think, from all elections. Um, you know, Maddow's right in the sense that um, you can argue this is the normal course of events when um, you have an election in Virginia the year, uh, the year after a presidential election 
there is a kind of pattern that um, the the state elects a governor from the opposite party of the party in the White House. Okay, fine. Um, I think an equally important lesson that we're learning through these elections is the impact of Trump when he's on the ballot or in the White House, right? So Trump is not in the White House. Democrats did not do well in, in uh, uh, Virginia and lost. They didn't do well in New Jersey and managed to squeak through. But the important lesson there is that we look at a, diff a different electorate, I think, when Trump is not in the White House or on the ballot. Mm. So um, I think that that quite possibly the electorate will be uh, more... the Democrat, I have said for a number of years now that Trump has the ability to motivate both Democrats and Republicans, but he motivates Democrats more. I think that was borne out in the 2020 result uh, most clearly, but I think it was also true after 2016. So that in 2017, uh, you saw it in Virginia. In 2018, you saw it in the midterm elections. In 2019, you saw it in special elections. And again, in Virginia in 2020, you saw it in the presidential election. But he's not on the ballot now. Yeah, He's not in the White House now. And politics is 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 kind of like an elastic. It's, it's returning to a shape that more resembles what it was like pre-Trump. Mm. Um, but if he's going to come back and we'll know, I think in a year or so, whether he tends to, to be the nominee after the midterms, mm. um, what will that do to the electorate? I mean, it, it's, 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 it seems to me that Republicans understand that Democrats, that, uh, Democrats are motivated by Trump in the white house or Trump on the ballot. They understand that. And that in order to protect their, their, um, political fortunes, they are rearranging um, laws and legislatures and, and uh, making voter making voting harder for the kinds of people who don't vote for them and so on, that all of these are in anticipation of a really tough fight in 2024. Fifty years from now, is the United States still a single country? Wow, that's a Probably. question. Probably. You know, I mean, one of the things about... <laughs> that just doesn't make any sense is that the red states that are so opposed to big government and, and you know, the, the current institutional order of things are the ones that benefit most from it. Right. Yes. I mean, Al take Alabama <laughs> who gets more money from the federal government, from other taxpayers. And, you know, like um, as Hillary Clinton pointed out a few years ago, the county C1 are the, are the ones that produce the largest share of GDP in the United States. Right. And that seems to me to be coming increasingly true. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of bravado and uh, so on, um, saber rattling among uh, Republicans and, and, you know, a certain, I don't know the best way to describe it, but a certain group of people in red states who are very Trumpy um, about how, you know, this, this is ultimately going to lead to a civil war that the election is stolen from them, that um, they represent a majority in the country and so on, all of which is, is nonsense. Um, but they claim to believe it. The point I'm trying to make is whether they can afford to really believe it if, if, if push came to shove. Mm. What would they do? Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. What would they do? Well, was, do you think maybe January 6th was the tip of that iceberg? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I was on another podcast just uh, a couple of months before the election where the host asked, what did I think the chances of 
of there being violence after the 2020 election were. And I said, 100%, right? They are showing us who they are. I mean, I remember when I was covering the campaign in 2016, I was at an event that um, Mike Pence was at in, in uh, Southwest Virginia, um, Salem, I think it was called. And Pence spoke there and I talked to some of the people there. We had nice friendly conversations. Um, and the thinking then was still that Hillary Clinton was going to win. But I remember talking to this one guy who said that, you know, you and everybody else should remember that all of us have guns. Yes. I mean, that's kind of a strange thing for somebody you've never met yeah. to tell you at a political rally. Remember, we all have guns. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I thought that that was interesting that they had a, at that point already thought through what they were facing and decided that it was going to, at some point, require them to exercise their Second Amendment rights. Yeah, it That's seems their view was that. Yeah, that, like their view was so hostile um, to the status quo as to believe that they were fighting something like the British Army in 1776. Mm-hmm. That, and you hear that a lot. Like you hear that from some, I mean, stunningly from some representatives in Congress who looked at January 6th as though it was January 6, 1776, mm-hmm. right? This is that moment all over again. Mm-hmm. Marjorie well, Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert are two mm-hmm. examples of that. Uh, yeah. bo- both yeah. both individuals are, like, how are they in positions of power? How are they Congress uh, representatives of the Congress? I'm like, uh, <laughs> it's mind-blowing to think that that is politician in a position of power because both of those individuals are, I'm trying to be polite here, but they're they're not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree, to say the least. And and they, no, they, they're anti-American you know, too, right? Yes. I mean, um, what do they say? Patriotism is the last always, refuge of the scoundrel, and and, and it's just uh, like I, that was a phrase that's hung around in my head since I was a child, and and never really understood what it meant until I saw it in action. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like Trump wrapping, literally wrapping himself in the U.S. flag yeah. in order to sell an idea through patriotism that it would be repugnant to the very idea of America. Yeah, I always tell myself happening like, now. I always tell myself like being a patriot is like being smart. It's like if you have to say it, you're not because yeah. it's pretty <laughs> obvious. Yeah, <laughs> I just I, one last one on China. Um, how would I put it? Is the effort that Canada seems to be spearheading to bring a bit more of a global coalition? Because not one country alone is going to be able. I mean, China's just so huge, unless something happens internally where you know the people start to revolt either on the environment or something where China has to start paying more attention at the at home. Um is, is this the right path? You know, the 20, 30, you know, middle power countries, hopefully with the help of the U.S., but, you know, the Chinas, the new, uh, the Canadas, the Australias, the New Zealands, the Luxembourgs, the, you know, just locking arms and saying, no, we're not going to let you do this or like. Well, China I think it's useful. Huge. I think it's useful actually to revert back to what we've been through with the United States, because prior to the 2016 election, there was a big issue about whether uh, the United States should be a part of the, the the partnership around the Pacific Rim. Yeah, right. And this was to, this was discussed in the context of trade deals that were being discredited at the time. Mm-hmm. And so it was politically expedient uh, for the Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton 
to say that um, she would not accept the what was it called the TPP at the time mm-hmm. um, uh, in in its existing form, right? Um, now, let me just add as a caveat: this was it's important to remember her husband did exactly the same thing about NAFTA when he was running for president in 1992. Mm-hmm. And then when he was elected president, he found a way to say, oh, you know what? I fixed NAFTA. It'll be fine. And off we went. Yeah. And I suspect um, that Hillary Clinton had something like that in mind because as secretary of state, she surely understood that among other things, uh, TPP was designed as a defense against the growth of China in the region. Um, and so now, you know, we went through a period where suddenly, you know, Trump comes along, he's the president of the United States, he gets out of the TPP, he takes a unilateral approach to China, presents it at least, it presents it as though at least I'm doing something nobody else was, which of course is not true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you accept the, the characterization of the TPP as I have just laid it out, that was the solution. It was a multilateral solution. And I think one of the fairest criticisms um, without getting into details about tariffs and, and so on to make of Trump's policy is why would why would it be better for the U.S. to go it alone than to go it in partnership with other countries in the Pacific Rim as, as was contemplated in the TPP? So take all of that and apply it to your question. I think that's the answer. I think that uh, that is the answer that I would wish to give. I think that a multilateral approach to dealing with the, the emerging China is required and it would be really nice if the United States um, uh, departed, it, it gave up on this unilateral approach of its own and understood that they're stronger working together with other nations as allies um, to guard against or or to try to shape the development of China than, than to not do it at all. To, to steal a line from W, a coalition of the willing. <laughs> yeah, but without, oh, without, oh, the, oh. without, without the weapons, please. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Um, Although, you know, I mean, look at what's happening. Are we, going, are we getting to a point now where China feels that it's, that it's confident that it, you know, that it could uh, provoke a military engagement and come out the winner? And that concludes the mere snippet of an interview with our esteemed guest, Mr. Keith Bogue. We will have the rest of the interview posted for you in its entirety later this week. Hello, kids. It's Mr. Grizzly, your friendly neighborhood grizzly bear, who is asking you how much you like this program. And I'm asking you if, well, you like this show, you like what you hear, and we're happy to do this for you, if you'd be willing to, you know, throw us a couple of bucks as a tip. And the reason we do this, with the reason we ask this question is because there are some production costs involved. We're happy to give this to you, but, you know, feel free to send us a couple of dollars over uh, coffee.com. And now the website is ko-fi.com backslash eager beaver. Dollar, two dollars, 50 cents, whatever, whatever you can spare. It helps us with our production costs. Mr. Beaver. That's right, Mr. Grizzly. Uh, if you go to our coffee page, the recommended donation is $3, but it can really be anything you want, um, less or more, if you happen to like this show especially. Um, we reinvest uh, in the show. Uh, as you can tell, uh, the sound quality has improved. 
since uh, episode one. And, uh, you know, we want to see where this show can go. Uh, hopefully we can maybe get some correspondence uh, one day, um, maybe film it uh, for YouTube. Uh, if uh, you guys have any suggestions of what you'd like to see the show become, of course, those are always welcome uh, because, you know, we do this for you. Um, so, yeah, uh, every little bit helps. And of course, if you can't afford anything and you just like the show, then please, you know, that's quite all right send us some comments let us know what you think of it uh that means just as much to us too and don't forget the website www.ko-fi.com backslash eager beaver thanks eh well kids um this is the end of the podcast and we hope that you love listening to us because we loved making this for you uh we do apologize uh for the sound interference in the first half of our interview with uh, mr bogue um i don't know how to describe it uh how would you describe it mr grizzly uh, microphone issues uh, network related uh things happen uh, i'd love to be able to say i can clear 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 it all up i'm going to do my utmost to do that but i can't necessarily say that's going to be perfect yeah um but uh if you stay with the interview of course uh, you're gonna love it it's wonderful um a big heartfelt thank you to our guest keith bogue uh, for being incredibly generous with his time and offering us uh such deep and profound and thorough insights into uh, the job of being a correspondent in journalism and uh, you know what's going on in the United States. Um, as always, we welcome feedback in the form of compliments, bribes to be on the show, constructive criticism, gentle corrections if we got anything factually incorrect, happy stories of things that have happened to you or your dear ones, and participation in our listeners challenge. We want to know what you are doing for Remembrance Day. So you can do all of that on our Facebook blog page at the True North Eager Beaver or at True Eager on Twitter. If you really like this podcast, you can find us on Google, Spotify, Apple, and Mixcloud. Please tell your friends. And finally, if you really, really like this podcast and wish to encourage us to do more, well, we work for tips. So please feel free to buy a cup of coffee for Mr. Grizzly here or a mug of hot chocolate for me via our coffee page at ko-fi.com backslash eager beaver all in lowercase letters that's ko-fi.com backslash eager beaver from the beaver lodge this is your eager beaver saying until next time dear kids it can be a tough world out there so be kind to and gentle with yourself um normally uh in this section we have a big d block you know with viewer feedback re- listener feedback i should say not viewer, viewer. <laughs> listener feedback and comments and whatnot and we will have that uh and and some cool news and we will have that for you uh in the next episode uh but uh our dear mr grizzly has tickets to the red blacks game <laughs> seasons tickets seasons tickets so. seasons tickets so yeah he's going to uh watch uh, some men in very tight pants uh, rub up against each other <laughs> how did it so- how did it suddenly become homoerotic good god man <laughs> hey the only reason i watch american football is for the tight pants in the super bowl our show you, you do realize the man uh, with the tight pants on, his butt is about three feet wide because he's six foot nine and weighs 400 pounds, right? <laughs> okay, so we have ample buttage. <laughs>
Okay, we've gone completely off the rails, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in, kids. <laughs> we bring in nothing but the best. Well, we try. The true north. Oh, do you have any words of wisdom before uh, I do the exits? <laughs> after that, I don't even know what to say anymore. Like, my goodness gracious. Words of wisdom. Okay. Keep your stick on the ice. Keep your head up. Always drink your coffee black, your whiskey neat, and have yourself a pint of Guinness. Those are my words of wisdom for today. <laughs> I like those. All right. Let's leave it at that. <clears throat> the True North Eager Beaver podcast is an Eager Beaver Mr. Grizzly collaboration. Copywritten by the Eager Beaver. And this is the second time that I'm reading the credits in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Recording, production, and editing by Mr. Grizzly. Uh, music courtesy of Ben Sound Royalty Free Music. Uh, once again, thank you to our founding sponsors, The Peppermaster, The Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, and CanadianTarot.com. And once again, thank you to the very impressive Keith Bogue for agreeing to be our guest this week. Uh, you have honored us with our presence, uh, with your presence. Uh, we still can't believe that a, a tiny show like ours yeah. is able to snag a guest of that reputation and quality. But um, yeah, uh, thank you, Mr. Bogue. Uh, and uh, we look forward to, to your continuing commentary on the situation in the United States. We'll see you next episode, kids. Oh, yeah. And yeah, be sure to come in to watch our uh, to watch again. I don't know what it is. Be sure to come in and listen to our extended interview with Mr. Bogue uh, because uh, he gave us about an hour and a half of his time. So uh, we will have that for you shortly. See you soon. Take care.
Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work, and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host, Roland Tanner, and I tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe.